Chris Radlinski. What a pleasure. MBE, we should say. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. We've been trying to get you on for years and you finally we finally got hold of you. Yeah. Like Gulliver's Travels, we've, we've pinned you down. But we're nothing to talk about, so I thought, um, why not? <laughs> <laughs> How worried are you that we're going to talk about those things you don't want to talk about? Oh, listen, listen, I'm prepared. Uh, when I, found it, when I found it last week. I spent the spent the weekend reading up. So I'm all good. <laughs> no, no comment. <laughs> no, it's not going to be that. There may be a bit of that, but I, I, I always, I don't know, it's become a bit of a cliche now. I, I always think the best place to start in a podcast is the beginning. So going back to Little Chris. Yes. Um, you were a hometown boy, Wigan. Uh, joined them in 1993. Those years leading up to you, you know, taking rugby league seriously and thinking, I'm going to make a profession out of this. What, what were they like for you? Um, well, obviously, I grew up in Wigan in the in the glory the glory days. Mm. You know, every every um, summer we'd head to Wembley because it's what you did as part of the town. You know, that illustrious team that won so many um, so many um, ch challenge cups, and it was the sport that kids played in the playground. Mm. You know, many many days I'd go home from school with with holes in, in my pants and things like that. That's that's what kids did in Wigan. It was it was very much uh, geared to, to playing for the, for the team. So that's what I always wanted to do. It's what I uh, uh, every boy in Wigan wanted to do. And I was lucky enough to to work hard to uh, to, to achieve it. So it was, uh, it was just expected as part of a, of a Wigan kid, really. Was it forced that you were always going to do it? Was, was it unrealistic at times that you would make it? Um, it, it certainly wasn't forced, but it, it was... It, it's not one of these where... Only a couple of guys would play. Every mate you had would play rugby league, so it was, it was very much part of the journey. Um, I never considered myself to be a, a natural rugby player. You know, a long way from that. In what way? Well, there was. You know, I wasn't talented, but I, I had work ethic. You know, I worked hard. Um, there were a lot more talented players than than me, and you know, a lot stronger, a lot faster, etc. But I, I'm I'm pretty comfortable knowing that I I got to where I got through through hard work and. There are always a lot of um, more skillful and talented, uh, better people around me, but no one could doubt how, how hard I worked. Mm. When you when you joined Wigan then, and obviously in 93, and all those people that you'd watched going to Wembley, you're suddenly surrounded with, and you know on the training ground and just around in the evening having beers. What was that like, suddenly being part of that illustrious club? you know excuse the pun yeah look it was it, it was incredible times you know if, if you list some of the names of the people in the changing rooms you know Martin Fire, Sean Edwards Jason Robinson Andrew Farrell the list of players was was incredible so it's ridiculous that squad wasn't it you know it that ridiculous. team at that time mm. was ridiculous it's the reason I supported Wigan when I was a kid oh yeah but you know this was before salary cap obviously yeah, so, yeah. so uh, you know they could spend whatever they want and probably only a couple of uh, younger players will get fed into the into the top squad each year, and and it, I was probably me and Simon Horton at the time. I don't know if you remember yeah, Simon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. So he he went into this squad, and um, you know it's a pretty daunting place to be with all mm. you know at the time. I probably had fifteen twenty internationals, but it was a tremendous um, learning experience for me. You know, you were learning off the very very best in the country. How did you carry yourself at that time then, walking in around around those guys? Well, look, it was it was it. it, it a rugby league changing room is a tough environment in, in the best of times. When you when you're walking in as a, as a pale kid with, with red hair into into even worse. into a changing room with uh, Kelvin the, the red the red hair, <laughs> you know, Chris, the red hair's gone these days. Pardon? The red hair's gone. Well, there's a lot more grey, a lot more grey. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I look back, it, it was it was bright orange back yeah. in the day. You know, on this, you've not been on the just for men, have you? <laughs> oh, no, no, things no. change, don't they, Will? Uh, Things yeah. change. Yeah. You know, what? your teeth are whiter than they were <laughs> they, three they, weeks they ago. Skulls has got less, less ginger in his older years as well, well then, then maybe we're talking about the ageing process. <laughs> what, what, the, the subconscious thing, what you're trying Age to suggest is... Age is good is... for gingers, essentially. Absolutely, that's what I think so. But, but uh, to your point, this young kid walking into a changing room with yeah. big characters, wow. yeah. you know, that is it's character building. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That it's way. ruthless, that environment, isn't it? Yeah, of course you know, it, it finds you out quick. Yeah. If you can't deal with it, you're gone. Not and a, a lot, you know, a lot. Of what was said at the time was su surviving the training pitch and and the game day was one thing. Surviving the changing room, <laughs> that's another. <laughs> yeah, that's another. Well, go on. Then. So, no, let's name some names here. When you when you walk in there, what sort of how who do you avoid? How, yeah, yeah. How testing avoid? was it, and who do you, who do you stay uh, away from? I wouldn't say you stay away from everybody. So you've got to have thick skin, and you you've got to buy into. Every, you know, these guys are the, uh, are the same breath of absolutely. You know, give the life of you. You know, yeah. you're going on, you're going on to feel with these blokes, and you create, you know, really special bonds. Martin Fire, who was, you know, probably the biggest superstar in the game at the time, he was, he was the guy who would always relate to the younger kids, and 
and even to this day, you know, we, we chat chat like weekly about things. So perhaps, you know, there was a, there was a tough crew of, of Neil Cowie and Kelvin Scarrett and and, uh, and people like that. You tend to learn things off off Andrew Farrell and Dennis Betts, who were amazing professionals and probably ahead of the time at, mm. at that era. Um, Isn't that strange though? The ones with the the, the most talent the ones who are probably the, the nicest ones who are willing to help, whereas actually the ones who can make it awkward are the ones with the loudest bark and the ones who, with more insecurities at the time, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Because O'Fire was as, as good as it got. Oh, he was he was a superstar. You know, I still remember, I still remember he had this, he had this like dusky pink convertible Mercedes. <laughs> you know, and it, and he I mean, it's the kind of car you'd see, you know, going down uh, Rodeo <laughs> Drive in LA and he's he's rocking through the streets of Wigan. Don't you got to back, yeah. back yourself Street. to drive one of those, not you? know, but this guy was like, he, that, that's the one I wanted. This is superstar standing, yeah. you know, very un-rugby league. But Go on then, what was your first car? When, when you got that first contract, what was the first car? I was a, I was a Nova SR. Yeah, it was an over SR. That was quite quick. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was all right, 1.3. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not to 60. <laughs> no, but um, like I said, I'll look at, incredibly lucky to be in this 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 changing room full of superstars. Mm. Yeah. Great yeah. start for me anyway. Was that was that time in the game, look, where Wigan was so dominant, Chris, Like, and it was amazing, I imagine, for a young lad in Wigan. Was 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 that a challenging time for the game? You know what I mean? Wigan's dominance. We I think it's often spoken about like that period of where Wigan just dominated everything for a long period. What's your sort of view on that? Well, I mean, they were probably one of the only professional teams at the time, weren't they? Yeah. Um, and you know, when I look back at some of the, some of the games now, and, and uh, with, with no offence, I look against look at some of the opponents who they were playing against. Um, it's probably not. No reason why they were successful, you know. They, Wigan had, had full-time training environment, incredible professionals, and they were playing against part-time guys, really. And, and I'm not suggesting that it's because they were part-time, but it had to have a, a, a factor. Yeah, yeah, it had yeah. to. Uh, but I didn't see it as a, as a as a worrying time for the game when you consider, you know, the crowd numbers back then were were absolutely through the roof. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Because we're, we're striving for more of an even playing field with salary caps and all the rest of it. But rugby league was at its biggest when we had one dominant team and that was Wigan. And it was, everyone knew Wigan, everyone knew the players. It was on box office, it was box office TV at the time. So it's weird that we're, we're looking for this level playing field, but then in terms of growing the game, but then when the game was at its biggest, we had one dominant team that they had household names throughout throughout the squad. Yeah, no, and we, we can like you said, drove standards, professionalism, you know, training methods, you know, a lot of that stuff filtered not only into rugby league, but then into rugby union, the stuff that was pioneered by by Wigan at that time. So having people who are pushing the standards is, is a great way to elevate the standards of everybody, you know, in, in, in the competition. And Wigan's methods at that time certainly did that. But who led that? Who was in charge of that full-time setup and the professionalism behind it all? Um... Well, probably the guy on a daily basis will be Sean Edwards. Yeah, you know he would he would take over sessions, biggest voice as a player. He'd be running the uh, sessions. Completely, yeah, completely, yeah. He would. I mean, we had we went through sessions where a ball wouldn't get dropped. You know, and if you did, he, he you know he's pretty moody. He'd walk in a different direction. He wouldn't speak to you. He'd let you know. You know, it was it was it it, it was a tough environment for that. But then you could see Andrew Farrell then who was. Probably twenty-one, and he was—he he, he wasn't scared of anybody. You know, he would stand up to people. He would drive standards. So out of the out of the whole squad, it was them two who, through that era, really took the club to a different different. He was great, Britain captain, captain at that age, wasn't he, Faz? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's something, isn't it? To be twenty-one years old and captain of your country. He was massive. He was massive, and he had presence. And you know, we we'd go to some. Uh, uh, away grounds, uh, you know, in, in, on rainy days in Yorkshire, and all the crowd would would be in at him, and he would absorb it all, and he actually take pressure off the rest of the team. Yeah, uh, and he, he was part of part of, of of his character. He was, you know, when you when you had him in your team, you're you're okay. So no coincidence, those two guys have gone on and been very successful coaches. Then, in in your mind, uh, not not you know, not coincidence coincidence at all. You know, two of the two of the. No, they've had big gigs throughout the world of rugby. Um, and, and I can completely see why. So when you'd got your feet under the table at this slick machine that was Wigan Warriors back in the sort of early 90s, did it, was was there a, a thinking that you wanted to be a one-club man even then? Why would you ever leave? Um, 
I, I never set off, never set off on that journey of being a one club man. But I just, look, I got into the team. I, I, I was happy in life. It was where I wanted to be. And, um, you know, there was an opportunity came to, to, to go to a rugby union. And, uh, and it, 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 you know, I can remember one Sunday night where it was me, my mum and my dad talking about it. And whereas your dad's a bit different <laughs> to, to your mum in that respect, so, you know. This was pre-Robbo as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, think of think of of the future and all that, and mum's you know thinking your happiness and all this kind of stuff. And but you reflect. You know, I was I was playing for number one. I was playing number one for Wigan. I was in a, a nice place in my life, and I didn't want to change it. So it, it, I never would say it was part of my long term kind of ambition, but it just worked out that way. You, you must have been tempted. I mean, especially when you see Andy Farrell going and Robert going later. Obviously, before you had the chance to do it. I mean. Do you think you could have adapted as well as they did? Um, I, I don't know. I've never played the game. Uh, well, I played, you know, once against uh, against Bath when we, when we played them, but I'd never played rugby union. Um, I met, I went to to Manchester Airport and uh, and I I met Clive Woodward and we had a chat there and um, it it was it came down to one evening, yes or no, uh, really. So it was a close one. Um, is there is there an element of regret there? There's probably a little bit of, of ex, maybe experiencing something different. Um, you know what? I think it's not just the sport. It's 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 the travel. It's meeting new people. It's everything. And uh, you know, I think if if that choice would have would have would have come up a bit again, I might have considered it differently. It is interesting how some of those moves work out and some really don't and you know for various different reasons and we've had Sam Burgess on the podcast as well but I imagine at the time Clive would have been giving it all the kind of oh we're looking, building up to a World Cup cycle and was it around we would have been building up to the 2003 World Cup yeah. as well wouldn't it yeah look, look it, it was it, it it was tremendously flattering at the time and he sold a, a great vision to me uh, but it just come down to where I was and and, and I, I wouldn't say comfortable but it, it was where I was happy and that's uh, you know that's the route I chose mm. Did you think then when, you know, you were, as you put it, the, 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 at the time, the small, big-haired ginger kid in this Wigan team, that you would be not only staying there as one club because we've gone over that, but going into being a, an executive director and before that a general manager under Michael Maguire? Uh, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, when I finished, I, ha I had a, a bit of time away from away from the game. Uh, my chairman, who's the chairman and owner now, he, he was at London uh, and he, he actually... Had, um, met me, he, he got the train up to Wigan, and that's what I go and play at London. Um, and this was this was after after I was retired, and it's just something I, I didn't want to do. And then he said, "Well, will you come down and work for me in London?" Um, and again, it just wasn't the right time. But and then when he came to Wigan and took over, then he 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 actually gave me a job. Uh, and I said, "And I said, doing what?" And he said, "We'll work it out as as we go was along." Two thousand eight. It was it was about six months before Michael Maguire came. Yeah, mm. two thousand nine. I think you were just yeah, I was there, you yeah. was there. Yeah. Well, Mark, you've got a story about um, Chris, haven't you? No, I just He's telling me a story in the car <laughs> on the way over. Oh, 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 because oh, I said, were you were you sort of around the club when this is uh, the most when, underwhelming when, story? Oh, wow. Go on, you built it up now. Go on, this you is built it up now. Basically, Will said, "Do you know any stories on Chris?" I said, "Well, we crossed paths briefly when I was at Wigan." Is that it? No, 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 no. It gets slightly better. It gets a bit better. Said what happened? I said, "Well, I played quite well for the reserves," and Chris said. Well played. <laughs> that's as good as it gets. And uh, tune, good tune in it. next week. <laughs> who, who wouldn't want Mark Flanagan as their best man? <laughs> it's funny, I keep getting asked. Uh, uh, I said he was going to be bad. He yeah. played Salford and I played quite well and Chris said well played. <laughs> but before we get into the world of being a director, because I'm fascinated with how that transition has happened for you, um, how much do you think the game has changed then from those you know, early mid-90s, early noughties? And I'm thinking even back to the Saints Wigan Derby. You you were in the you were on the pitch together with the big brawl Wilkin that you started <laughs> when Wilkin got know. filled in. I got filled in by Terry Newton. I, 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 I was no one. I played. I was no one here. But when you you know when you if you try and sum that up of just uh, you know because the because games and sports do evolve, don't they? Uh, over over almost now two decades. Yeah. Well, well, uh, it wasn't been too long ago. Maybe maybe six or seven weeks ago, we we had a game in Yorkshire, and uh, I drove back and. and at that night, there was there was a classic TV, uh, a game on TV, mm. and it's from 1994, and we we were playing Leeds uh, at Headingley, and I weren't actually playing in the game, but I watched it, and it was fast as anything. Really? Yeah, yeah, there was there was no there was no wrestle there was on no the floor. No control at there all. There was there was nothing. <laughs> um, 
when a player made a tackle, they put their hands up because they were afraid of getting penalised. Yeah, yeah. And it was relentless. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you know, we're getting to technical aspects of the, aspects of the game. But when it is like that, there just appear to be holes everywhere, you know, yeah, late yeah. retrievers and, and all kinds of stuff. And I really enjoyed watching it. It was fascinating on the back of what I'd just witnessed, which was an arm wrestle game, which was which was really tight. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, probably... 25 years separating the games, but massive, massive difference. And we've got a responsibility to entertain, Will. You know, like sport is ent it's entertainment, right? And 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 we, you know, we, we've got to be conscious that the performance side of sport's not that entertaining. You know, it's not that sexy, is it? You know, the competitive way of slowing games down, of, of winning, you know, can, can not be entertaining. You know, I think we need to acknowledge that. There's a way to win games and it not be entertaining. Because in the past, it was like a lawless sort of environment where anything was possible, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, if, 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 if someone said to me what has changed over the last 15, 20 years, a lot of it would be the analysis of the sport as well. Yeah, you know, Coaches sure. know, if you hit three or four KPIs in a game, there's a good chance you'll win it. Yeah. But yeah. what that does is is create low percentage plays. Yeah, yeah. KPIs yeah. are boring, aren't they? Absolutely. If you're talking in But it might keep a coach in a job flash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, has well, the game become that's more the robotic point. then like that in, in, in recent years? Has it become more, you know, as some of the romance been sucked out of it that was there in the 90s? Well, you know, I think the the creative players, the Sean Longs, the, the Lee Breers, the guys who would probably try things off the cuff, um, perhaps, I'll, we have players now who can do all these skills, no doubt. Mm. But potentially they, they they don't do them in the game because it's there's a lot at stake, isn't there? Winning the game, people in the employment. Defensive, defense are too good, aren't they? Yeah, especially when you know the influx of um, the ideas around from the NRL with wrestle and and the structure around defensive players. Like unless you get a quick play of the ball, or you've you've worked your middles over, or you've got a slight overlap on one side, you're not going to break a defense down. So. Yeah. It's so much harder to, to break a defence down and, and to score points these days. But with with these players now, who I believe have got this technical ability to do it, it's a great opportunity. You know, if you've got if you've got the, the yeah. guts to, to to try something off the court yeah. and, and you know you make a name for yourself, you'll be a superstar. Yeah, guys who can play now are a commodity, aren't they? You know, to look at some of the things Aiden Caesar does when he plays, and just some of the times he plays, I think, wow, this is like. This is great. But Bevan French has been... Yeah, exactly, same. There's loads of people who can do it, but you said when the stats and the spreadsheet that says you do this, this and this equals W, if it doesn't equal that, you're discouraged from doing it through the week. So it's no surprise maybe we don't see that flamboyant sort of style anymore because there is a formula to win games. And, you know, the, the teams that are now the plucky underdogs will just try and compete pretty high, complete pretty high, stay in a game and try and jag one. Why the, maybe in the past they'd have just, like, wazzed the ball around a bit and see what happened. Mm. But I don't think there's a lot of teams do that. It's like Tony Smith's side last year stood out like dog's balls because they just started doing crazy stuff, which actually, when you look back in the game, it's probably things that were happening in the yeah. history of the game, but they've gone out of it. But, yeah, it's an interesting time. You know, that time... You know, and I, I saw this at the start of my career, although a lot later than when you started, Chris, was that transition from old school to new school. Do you know when you've got those old characters in the dressing yeah. room and you can just feel it changing and, yeah. you know, Andy Farrell's maybe more professional and that just pulls it away from the old school. And that was something I felt, you know, like the start of my career, I was at Hull KR and, and, and you know, obviously moved to St. Helens, but that, that feeling that the game was pulling away from the old sort of, the old school. Well, it's, I think... It's almost military, wasn't it? You know, you do this, you're here at this time, you eat this, you do that. And I think probably the modern workplace doesn't really support that anymore. It's yeah. a lot more about well-being and emotional intelligence and having conversations with players and, and educating. Um, that's a lot more in, in, in certainly in our setup than, than has ever been. And yeah. that didn't exist in your day? Oh, no. You, no. you do this, you do this, it, it, you're here at this time. If you're not, you find this amount. No, it's a lot more listening and talking and, and and getting to know players on different levels, which is is the modern work, the one in workplace and, and work, you know rugby clubs are are not immune from that. For someone then who's played in so many spicy Saints Wigan derbies, bearing in mind you sat next to John Wilkin about well, it's COVID safe, isn't it? You're being two meters <laughs> yeah, just fine. about. Um, how what does that rivalry mean to you? Uh, it, look, it's it's amazing, and I think it's. Um, it's a real jewel in the crown of, of, of British sport, really. You know, it's it's one of these games which never really disappoints. Everybody 
even from outside the sport, look forward to a Wigan Saints game. Um, it, it's, it's, it's blood, it's passion, it's everything on the line. And I think people who, who take part in it, um, they understand that and they, they treasure it, to be honest. You know, I, I, I've, I think I've played in, in around about 40 of the games and I, I consider myself very, very lucky. And I love the fact that I can say I've played in, in them games because, because they are, in my mind, the, the epitome of, of sport. It's everything on the line. Um, and I, you know, I can go to St Helens now, and I can have uh, great relationships with St Helens fans. Some of the St Helens players who have been the probably the best players of the Super League era, uh, James Robert, Longy, for example. You know, they're um, the, the people I look up to as well. So it means a lot to me, and I think it means a lot to the game as well. Was it always as friendly though? Come on, back in those those nineties those days, you must have stayed away from each other. Bearing in mind, you know, you see each other on nights out. Was it as sort of tribal? As I'd imagine it to be. See each other on nights out. No, but you know, like that. But that's why that's what you start, you know, Liverpool and United players in the sort of, you know, in the nineties. I don't that was never there, never there though, was it? You know, you if you saw someone from you'd have a beer with them. It was there's something about the sport. Look, when there was obviously the the big the big fight with with Scully and Faz, it's it's iconic, isn't it? It's epic and but it stays there, you know, it stays on on the field and and that's that's what I love about the sport as well. You know, they've been they've been I've had some unbelievable games against against Saints, and uh, and it, you know we 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 need to we need to cherish them, yeah. Yeah, and leave that that aggression is it's part of the sport, and you know sometimes I think we we leverage the sport as being a family sport, but it is built on on aggression and physicality. And you know you look at the most watched clips of of, of rugby league, and you know Ben Flower hitting Lancer High is one, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, it's one of the most watched clips. That fight on Good Friday in two thousand and four, people like to see that aggression and the competitive combative nature. The beauty of rugby league is, as Chris rightly says, that's where it stays. That's where it finishes. There's there's a white line on the edge of the pitch and everybody who's watching and the players who are taking part know that what happens on that rectangle there is a, it's just a sealed event, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's it, it's done. But Finish. those moments, and you'll know from being a director, that, that is the, the huge attractive nature of its marketability, isn't it? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, you mentioned... Uh, uh, being a director, I, the the Friday before the the 2014 grand final, which is the Ben Flower yep. incident, that is that is when uh, the chairman uh, arranged the Skype with me. No, I've never done a Skype. This is a video call, mm. and he he came on the screen and he had his shirt and tie on and thought something was happening. Mm. Uh, and that's when he asked me to be a director on that night, um, and he told me not to tell anybody. And then the weekend <laughs> kind of <laughs> erupted because of what happened with. With Ben and, and Lance, <laughs> and baptism of fire, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and we had to, you know, we were dealing with things we we never had to deal with before. Like, you know, Piers Morgan's commenting on it is yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And they were pulling clips from from changing room conversations that Wayne had done, etc. And it's probably great at the same time. It's, though, it's it? probably the best publicity we've ever had. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's it's mad, madness. Yeah. But yeah. we had to. We almost had to change our communications on the back of it. We we, we couldn't say that Wigan and Saints hate each other. You know, we we we, we had to, it actually become pretty sterilised in the in the build up to Wigan Saints games because of what happened. Yeah, on, there was a the bit field. of like joint communication, wasn't there? From yeah, we both a, clubs. Yeah, we had a coffee, it was didn't like, we? Yeah, yeah, it was like both clubs have got. A, you know, we're gonna. Just we need to tone this down. That was what the, the yeah. set, you know, but then, just in the short term. Yeah, but yeah. then I went to. Uh, I was very lucky enough to go to to, to Origin, um, and I was in Sydney on the morning of a, an Origin game, and you know, it, the Sydney Morning Herald front page, back page, it's all about we hate them. Paul Gallen, you know, yeah. I absolutely hate these guys, and it's the most watched sport in Australia. Yeah. It's, it all sold out all over. Or, or, or every game and it's you know all over the world people are watching it and I'm like that's why people love it yeah, it's yeah. gladiatorial it, sure, it gets yeah. the blood flowing yeah, yeah. so it's you know sometimes we, we perhaps we sterilise it too much I think there's obviously a lot going on in the NRL at the moment with the, with the head high tackles and, yeah. and, and the, the executive Peter Vlandis coming out and saying that they need to look at the bigger picture and concussion etc and the fans are just kicking off because yeah, because yeah. they love the the raw element of the well, game. Well, it's that it is, the game lies in this like seam between welfare and safety of athletes, and the litigation that could come off the back of you know that that lack of 
you know, preparation to deal with concussive injuries, with, you know, long lasting injuries. And then the entertainment of the, the aggression and the violence. Rugby league's violent. Like, say what you like, it's aggressive and it's violent. And, and people enjoy that, you know, and we can't get away from that. But there's this little seam in between and we're just, tr we're trying to work out what's right and what's wrong, aren't we? Yeah. And we're constantly nibbling away at the, the aggression and, 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 and tweaking. And I, I, you know, one of my worries is that we, like when I, an example would be when you start playing the game, you know the risks of playing the game. Mm. You know, did do I did I not understand the long term effects of concussive injuries? You know, no, but I knew the risks. You know, I knew that it's dangerous. You know, and there's got to be a thing. Do you think rugby league over here in and in the NRL are worried that the, the court cases that have been going on in, in the NFL, there's certain rugby union players, and there's a Welsh guy, can't remember his name, who retired recently through. He had um, quite serious head injury. Yeah, they're worried about the court cases that might come in the future. That's why they're covering their own ass with the protocol. I'm, I'm thinking, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, I'm no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's a factor, and there's the long term health of of players as well. Uh, but I mean, you, you, you yourself, that's one of the big parts of your game was was. Give him a big rap here. Yeah, he could hit bang, people. Could bang people. Well, you, you, you got the headlines when Ben Flower knocked out Lance Hyatt. They did the same thing. They paid. Ben Flower to do that to you. He knocked you out last season, didn't he? He did, actually. <laughs> well, but it's a big part of your game, wasn't it, Flash? Yeah. You know, you were known for a... a yeah, well, I wasn't always, people. like you said before, I wasn't always the biggest or fastest or more skillful, but I just tried really hard. So I'd, I made a game on sprinting off my line, trying to put big hits on people. And usually it worked. Sometimes I got knocked out, but <laughs> I wouldn't have made a career unless I could do that. So yeah. I do... I, I, it plays on my, my mind sometimes that you don't want to get to 15, 60 and start having... Forgetting your mem memory loss or, or the but rest. Don't play rugby league then. Well, I know, but but when I was twenty, I didn't realize that. But I'm not I'm not blaming the game. I'll still if that happens, that's fine. But that's how but, the, the game has a responsibility now to look after players, isn't it? I mean, it if you compare it to football, and I know you can't always do that, obviously with the, the nature of the game. But when you look at what's happening in football with players who've played in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and and the, the links to dementia. Yeah, no, the games, sports are always playing catch-up to the implications of the sport that you play, aren't they? Mm, yeah. So we didn't understand head injuries 10 years ago. Yeah. But now we're playing catch-up. And the temptation is when you're playing catch-up is to go further the other way than you need to. And I believe that that's why this period that we're in for the rule makers of the game is important because the temptation is to nibble back too far the other way and that ultimately will affect the product. Yeah, and, it becomes and, sterile and you're lost, you don't know where you're at. And, and that's what I'm saying, we're in an interesting yeah. time right now. The NRL's testing a few things, there's a bit of backlash about what's going on. Mm. I think we usually follow suit in, to some degree, don't we? And, and I think we've got to get this bit right, you know. And in terms of, you know, sort of the leadership of the game, you know, yeah. I think that's... It's a big time. But it will become impossible to ignore scientific evidence when it comes to surface, won't it? Because it's that will just be deemed completely irresponsible for the people running the game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, without doubt. I think, look, the, 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 we're in a period where we've never had more information. And much like Chris was, you know, saying about the performance side of the game, it's ultimately like a, a formula. It's yeah. almost like AI type stuff. Is You put these numbers in and at the end you win. Well, there's all this information about everything is out there. And... and you know, when we're still making sense of it, we don't understand it. We still don't understand concussion, you know, and all of that stuff. But we're just trying to get ahead of it, aren't we? And I think there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And I think we don't know what that is or what that looks like yet. And I don't think the game knows what that looks like. Chris, what are the biggest challenges of being a director at a Super League club? Uh, well, look, I don't, I don't think it's going to get any more difficult than what we've just gone through last year. You know, that was... Nothing could have ever have prepared us for, for for the pandemic and the impact that it that it had on the game. Um, we're a sport that relies heavily on on people coming watching, uh, people buying merchandise, people coming buying hospitality. And when all that's taken away, you know we're not we're not like football where we can we have the uh, the resources to to um, to to pay all this money. Um, so what we had to go through last year was as tough as, tough as it's going to get. So um, I'm hopeful that that's prepared me for, for better days, should I say. Yeah. What but was if it was tough for you, it was, it, I imagine it's a lot tougher for Wakefield and for <laughs> the teams who don't have huge benefactors. But then you say that, but I actually do think, sorry, Chris, on that, the, the, the biggest teams have got the biggest burden, haven't they? Yeah. They've got the bigger wage bills. Mm. They've got, you know, facilities that need paying for training facilities that are need updating 
You know, whereas some of the actual, the smaller clubs, <laughs> but this might sound weird, I think COVID was not that bad for them. You know, as in, it, I don't think it was all that bad for them. I think in the long run it will be. Well, don't forget as well that uh, people who, who own uh, sporting clubs, they, they have other business interests as well, yeah, yeah. which were not immune from, from being affected. So... Mm. Um, Look, we were dealing with things we'd never never dealt with before. Nobody had ever heard of the word furlough. Yeah. And I had to phone every player individually and said, have you heard of the word furlough? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? Uh, and then, you know, social distancing. And, uh, you know, one of the toughest things I, 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 I ever did was on, on my own on a, on a Zoom call with, with 35 players who, mm. who drilled me on every single bit of the finances and absolutely asked every... Every question I would ask, um, and I had to have every answer. Uh, and the only way I could not survive and, and get out of that was was to give full transparency on on the business and how it had been affected. Uh, but you know, having one conversation with a rugby player is difficult. Having thirty five, you know, drilling you it was for two and a half hours. So that's that's the toughest that, moment in your executive career. That's the toughest part. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it will be easier to have now because because this is this was early on in the pandemic. Yeah. You know, this was when we were just getting to grips with it. As the year's gone on, uh, the year went on, people probably understand understood the effect that it had on the business more. And I think I would be better equipped to deal with it now. But we, it was very fluid, wasn't it? And we, we were we were unsure whether crowds were going to come back. Um, Did you think it was close to a lot of clubs folding? Do you think it hundred percent? Yeah. If it wasn't, if it wasn't for government support, if it wasn't for fans donating uh, season ticket money, most clubs would be under. No doubt about that. It was, and and you know I was telling players this, and and I think I think they understood it, but but you're also fighting for for your yeah. for your wage and for Everybody, for your own yeah. for your own kind of. Uh, needs as well, so it was. That's as challenging as it as it could have get, could have got. Mm. Your day to day then as a as a director, it looks like what? Well, it's it, it's. Uh, I, I guess it's very reactive. As um, you know, there's there's the the running of the business, uh, whether whether that's marketing the games or, or season ticket or retail, uh, and then there's the, probably nowadays the rugby is maybe ten percent of what I deal with. Um, I would always touch base with the coaches in the morning to see if anything anything needs to be done. I, I'd have conversations with the players and the medical staff. But my office is on the other side of the building, away from performance, and I, and I work with a, a performance board that that run the business, or run the business. So it's it, it's very very live. Things happen on a daily uh, daily basis. Um, you know, we have to deal with the RFL and the governance of the game and Super League and the marketing of the game. So it's it's pretty much everything. You, I mean, we're all learning on the job and everything we do in life, aren't we? But you were given that kind of when you weren't ready, were you? You know, you had to prove to people you'd already done it as a player, prove people wrong, and kind of earn people's respect. But you then had to do that in a completely different way. Absolutely. You know, I think uh, I started on, a, on on my second career, which was you know not playing, and I was just just started to learn the business. On day one, um, the chairman gave me full access to 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 the. Uh, the finances of the club, and he just said, "Learn the business of the club." That must have been fun, wasn't it? Just like, well, in. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and look back into the books back in and the. This 90s. was this was the first day. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I he, he trusted me. I, I had a friendship with him, and uh, and he, he gave me full access to it. And he just said, "Learn and develop, and and let's see where you get to." Um, so I worked with Michael Maguire and Sean Wayne, and uh, but then I, t I guess I probably started to step away from the rugby side of it, more into the, the, the business side of it. What do you think Ian Lennigan saw in you, Chris? What was it that he, he want, wanted, you know, to run the business that he saw in you? Well, I think, um, you know, he'll openly say this, I don't think it's particularly me. I think, I think he likes the, the qualities of a, of, a, of a rugby league player. You know, they're, a, they're a hardworking, uh, they're honest people, you know, they show integrity. Um, and he trusted me from day one with his prized possession, which was, you know, his rugby club. And he knew that through conversations that I had with him that I had, you know, I was looking after his, his money as well. So, um, you know, I'm incredibly f uh, fortunate and, and thankful for the opportunity he gave me. And, and, you know, I consider him a really close friend now for doing it. And I was, I'm no good to, to the chairman if I'm a yes man and he likes the fact that I challenged him a little bit and we had a few 
kind of disagreements along the way. Um, and I think I've developed as a, as a person through, through the journey. You know, I've, I've had some unbelievable things to deal with over the years and I feel really, really equipped and better equipped than, than ever to deal with what's happening. I think you would have been good for him as well because Ian's always been a, a fan from, from when I've known. He's been a rugby fan and a hugely successful businessman, but you have him played for that club and been a player for, all, for such a long time. So you'd be able to marry the business sense that he's got, your experience playing and understanding players and, and the, the game. It's quite a good marriage, really, isn't it, in, in, a, in a business sense, to have you two together? Yeah, look, I, I, no doubt I learned uh, I learned an incredible amount from from a business point of view. But I also, you have to coach up as well. So I was probably giving him a, uh, an insight into rugby, what he, he never really saw as a fan. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's really important. So I, I'd watch games with him, I'd sit next to him, and I would point things out which perhaps, it, you know, he, he, he hadn't seen. Uh, so I think we were both good for each other. Yeah. The, the dynamic's fascinating, and you touched on it there, particularly with the furlough and things you guys have been through over the last 18 months. But you having to be that cutthroat director, making those decisions that which 20 years ago you were on the end of. Yeah. It, it's, it, it, you know, June's a very, very difficult time, in, in, in certainly in my year, because you, you have to have conversations with players on options and, and you, you know, you kind of start telling people what's happening next year. Um, and my, my view on that is that if you're telling someone and, and, it, and it's a shock, then you've not done your work leading up to it. Mm. So it's a, it's a process of constant feedback, letting people know where, where they are, um, having honest conversations. And, you know, I'm friends now with a lot of players that we've let go because you try and do it in such a way that it's it's not come as a shock and you've not been disingenuous, you've not been uh, dishonest with them. So, it, so you make them see your thinking. Yeah, and that's conversation. And that, uh, you know, it's it, it's a lot more about emotional intelligence, I think, rather than... I, I don't think I'll ever be the, the type of guy who says, you're leaving, thank you very much. You have to kind of go through the process of, of, of explaining and, and getting them to understand why. Mm. As a player, though, that never happened to you, did it? Do you know that conversation you're talking about there? So, you know, you know, a lot of the times in life we learn from maybe being through a situation. Yeah. Is that something you've really had to learn to deal with? Because you you had probably ultimately really positive conversations. Yeah, yeah I point. get that. And a lot of what yeah. I do now is self-learning as well. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I've uh, a lot of what I do is is um, solving problems. You yeah. know, I read loads. I'm reading one at the moment called, called Pig Wrestling. It's, <laughs> and it's about how to solve problems. Sounds like two, John Wilkins' Charlie. It does, well, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two things you need to know about wrestling a pig is, is one, you're going to get dirty, <laughs> and two, the pig enjoys it. <laughs> so, But it's just about looking at, looking at different like ways. Sounds like world's love life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Looking at different ways of, of, of problems and overcoming them. And, and you know, I, I, I am, a, I guess, a scholar in that respect where I do read and I do try and, you know, improve myself in that respect. But it's all yeah. learning on the job. Does that come from Sean Wayne? Um, I, well, I, I have recommended the book to Wayne. I mean, Wayne <laughs> speak every week on stuff. You know, he's he's, yeah. he's, a, he's a big kind of he enters every room with his little leather book, which he writes down everything. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And and you know, I had a, I had a really, really strong relationship with Sean, where he, he lives in a black and white world, and I'll deal with the massive grey bit in the middle. Which, <laughs> he's very much which, in a black and white world, isn't yeah. He? And which is and, and it worked. You know, yeah, it was yeah. uh, he's he's. <laughs> He's got real presence about him, uh, uh, Wayne, and I, I enjoyed working with him a great deal. Yeah. Just, just on that, I'm really interested in in, um, in Wigan's culture, right? Because as an outsider looking in, they've got this unbelievable knack of producing gritty young men, or, or they seem to continually, I'd say since maybe Michael Maguire, maybe a bit before that, is produce like a band of gritty young men. Now, where does that does that come from the top is that from the performance department or where does that come from uh, I do think I do think the uh, there's a thread that runs through the club so a lot of the junior coaches have full access to everything that what happens on the in the top squad so all our coaches who whether you come as a volunteer or, or whether you're uh, an academy coach who's paired you can go and sit in a in a team meeting and understand the messages right at the top uh, I do think there is something in the DNA that we look for that is that competitor. Um, we spoke earlier about perhaps our current form and, and I don't think we're playing at, at, at the standard we can play, but we're proving difficult to beat because of 
the tenacity that, that we've shown. And I think there is something in the character that we look like, and maybe it's in a recruitment as well, that yeah. we look for that that individual who who refuses to get to get beaten. You know, when I'm watching a game with kids, I always look at the kid who drops drops the ball just to see what his next action is, yeah, whether he yeah. puts his hand up to take that ball, or the kid who chases back when there's a breakaway try and things like that. I try to look outside of it just to see the perhaps the qualities what. Um, the intrinsic qualities rather than the, the the skills. Yeah, yeah, that's huge for me. But you know, that that grittiness. That we, you know, we've speak spoke with lots of people on the podcast who have developed grit. You know, through the career. But the evidence is there in young athletes, isn't it? I think Wigan probably as a club, I think, tend to recruit that gritty sort of you know young guy who's, who's got that fire in his belly more than more than others. We, we spoke. Well, we got uh, Singo, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. last year, and I just I always felt that he was. He was our kind of player, and he's got yeah. that, hasn't he? He's yeah, just got that sure, little bit yeah. about him. And the young lads coming through, not even coming through, Partington and Smithers, I think the last couple of years when they came onto the scene, they just they had that character that like they'd been been around for for donkey's years because that's, that's, that's the great that's yeah. that tenacity, that vigor in defence, that never said I attitude, and it just it's looked like they've been there for decades because that's the way they play. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think the. I think Ollie's at 50 games now and Morgan will hit 50 games in, in, in the next few weeks. And, you know, they're just competitors. You know, they're not the biggest guys, but they'll leave it leave it all out there. Um, important to us, oh yeah. Look, one of the big uh, challenges you've had as well as, as a director, and I know it wasn't just solely your decision, it was a, the club's decision, was the rebranding. Um, how, just looking back on, it's still quite fresh. Has that all gone down? Um, well, look, it was... It was, it was it's probably a 10-year process, really. We've probably been talking about it for 10 years. Uh, but then maybe maybe two or three years ago, uh, the Super League did a, a presentation to the clubs and did an individual audit. And the outcome of that was probably reaffirmed what we've been feeling for a long time, that uh, the old badge was probably a little bit outdated and not in line with a lot of the leading sport franchises around the world. That must be hard for you to say, though, for someone who's worn that badge and... Of honour for so long. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I understand it completely. Though I, I, you know, the badge has been amazing to me, and uh, we always stress to people who signed for the club that they're representing the badge and every, everything that that's gone before. So I understand the importance of the badge, but it was to me it was never about the badge. You know, uh, it, it it was more everything else what fell behind it, which was the standards, the culture, the the marketing, the the collateral, everything that we did needed to be of a certain standard. Um, so it, it was it was a process that uh, first of all I'm incredibly proud of because we went through a we went through a uh, a long two year consultation. There has to be learnings along the way. I think we could have perhaps um, involved a few more fans in the journey. We did have a section of them. I think we could have involved more. Um, How many were involved? Uh, there was probably probably round about. About twelve, I think, of you know, men, women, young, old. Uh, there was there was an executive team, uh, and I guess I was the face and I was the voice of it because that's my job, uh, which which was challenging at the time. You know, one thing that happened the day we were launching on a Sunday night, um, and one Mid midnight <laughs> classic <laughs> political technique. <laughs> well, we were we were launching on a Sunday, but we we uh, we trademarked it on on a Saturday afternoon and. Strategically for me, I, I took my missus out for a meal because I knew I knew it was going to be a I knew it was going to be a, 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 a tough ride. So I'm having a meal and then my phone starts beeping and obviously it's it's been leaked. I still don't know how it happened. Um, and then I went I went to the toilet and I came back and she deleted my Twitter. So I've not been on it since. I've not been on it because I, I know I got a bit of a hard time on it. But I just know for what happened over the the next few weeks is. You know, I was coming in the office and and the ladies, there'd be a treat on my desk and things like that. Because, <laughs> they've, because, read they've read yeah, it. Yeah, because I was getting absolutely... <laughs> People mainly saying what? Uh, they, they, they didn't understand the reason behind it. They didn't like it. Um, look, I, we went in it with our eyes wide open. My, my, I'm okay with people not liking the badge. You'd love everybody to like it. Yeah. My biggest problem would be if people don't un, didn't understand why we needed to change, why we needed to... Uh, to, to, to modernise, why we needed to 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 be on the front of, on the front foot with a digital agenda and and seeing how people are consuming sport now and um, it it was that that was the biggest challenge for me 
Uh, I think now when I look back, I mean, the proof is in the pudding on whether you, people will buy it. You know, our retail numbers at the minute have been have been outstanding this mm. year. We've hit our highest numbers since 20, 2011, so it's worked to that degree. Our facility at the moment, that's, in my eyes, is where it all come, comes to light. We're very lucky that we've got, we've got the best facility in Super League. It's up there with Premier League standard. But when you come round the corner and you see it there, it, it all makes sense to me. You know, Dennis Betts came to see me and have a look around and he said, I felt like I was walking into a, a Premier League club. It had real presence. Um, but we'll never forget the old badge, you know. Oh, you can rip that back out. Do you know what I mean? That's got like heritage, you yeah. know, you're doing heritage runs. Yeah, you yeah. signed a few more jerseys there. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Christmas special, but maybe. We, yeah, absolutely. But we, you walk it, look, it's all brand new, shiny. You walk into our facility and, and on the right, we've, we've, we actually had some old seats from Central Park. So we've got them on the wall with a screen where you can watch clips from Central Park with the old badge. It'll always be there. It'll, it'll, it'll always be part of the club. You know, it's just, the other thing is just a badge, but everything behind it, the culture, how we work, how we drive each other, the, the you know, the fonts we use, the presentation, that is what a rebrand is to me. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of rugby league clubs could not, maybe not rebrand the badge, but just take take inspiration from pushing forward into the, to the new to new era of sport and whether that's the way it's marketed, the way we approach new fans, the way we send messages to fans, just get out there in, in, into the, the mainstream media is I think something that lots of other clubs, my old club Salford especially, could could really take inspiration for. Because fans aren't just going to turn up and just what just just stumble on the DW stadium and watch a game on a weekend. You need to need to get get hold of them and, and embrace them, I think. Yeah, and people are petrified of change, right? So regardless you know, whatever you did was going to be criticised. Yeah, you know, I, for sure. And and, and the people are just scared of taking that step. And, and look, you know, I, we did, um, me and Mark did like a business course in Burnley and we were talking about like the, the values of like rugby league. And one thing was the history and the heritage and all of these things that like drilled into us about how important they are. I but get to, your on the, to your man and woman on the street, that means a lot. I get how important it is, but you can move on without forgetting your history and heritage. You can change and evolve you know, understanding your history and heritage because the badge has been taken off a shirt. Does it mean that it doesn't exist anymore? It's, it's an iconic. But you, I, can see, I can see both sides of this. I'm sure you can as well, Chris, because you've, you know, you've worn that badge and you've spoken to those people who, who, you know, that are, are obsessed with the sentiment of, of that badge. And look, there's, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but there's two sides to it, isn't there? That like Wilkes says, there's nothing constant but change yeah. and people are afraid of change. And then also you're the one who studied the sports directorship course yeah. and is all about the rebranding and so on. But the cynics might say, well, hold on, you, 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 you sort of invited 12 people to talk about it. Yeah, and again, there are learnings. There are things that, that we, we could have done differently. And there's no doubt about that. Um, but you're also trying to keep it under wraps as well. And, and, and it's difficult to control people. You know, well to keep 12 people. <laughs> yeah, and, and also, you know, we, you commit to this two years ago. We didn't then know that there was going to be a pandemic and you launch in the middle of a pandemic and people are thinking, well, it's not the best timing. Yeah, but yeah. people don't know how far in advance you have to plan things. You know, in, in, uh, in March this year, we've, we've signed off our jersey for next year. You know, it's, that's, that's how much time you have to, to put into it. But, but look, at it's, as, as John said, people, people don't like change. Um, you learn a lot about yourself. You know, I realised I'm probably, probably tougher than I thought, you know, you, to, to, to make that step. Again, I was the face of it, but the, it, there was a whole group of people who believed that it was the right thing to do for the club. And if we're guilty of anything, he's he's trying to make us trying to make us better, trying to yeah. look forward, trying to. It's, it's easier to accept if you're a Wigan fan because you've made the decision and you are Wigan. You know what I mean, rather than a sort of a faceless director in a in a corporate yeah, box look, upstairs. Yeah, look, but I, you know, I think for the first time in 20 years, I, you know, I was under the pump. You know, I'm 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 completely aware of what people were saying that this is this is all on me. But you know, this is. Um, it's not an easy position, my job. You, no. You're going to upset people. Yeah. You, you, all, all that I, I will say is that everything that we do is is made with the the best intentions. People will make the same choices as me if they had all the information on a table. Unfortunately, people don't get have that information. And I always say that about signing, or whether a player's coming or going. It's not rocket science. Yeah. If, if all the information's there and you, you you got rid of the cards, the answer's there. And everyone will come up with the same, same, same answer. How much did Ian question you at the time? Um, 
well, he 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 backed the process, and he and he wanted to, to he wanted to go through with it. But he, but he's you know he's the ultimate traditionalist. Uh, he, he he collects memorabilia. He's got an incredible collection of, of rugby league memorabilia. But he's he has two young sons who who understand the uh, the the social climate that we're in, and, and yeah. you know they. I'm not saying they convinced him, but they uh, had a real. Um, influence on what we were doing but you know he, I, Ian understands it you know I uh, I often joke Ian is really particular about ties really particular <laughs> yeah but you know he, te he takes us hard, he takes us a long time to sign off a tie longer to sign a player it's so important but but now he's, he's really comfortable with a skinny tie but, oh, he, like skinny tie. but it took us a long time to get to that level so he's having to change and adapt but yeah. The so, game's evolving. Absolutely. absolutely. So look, Chris, various different challenges. Um, and, you know, more recent ones as well. Uh, Jackson Hastings, the, the transfer saga that's been going on there. There's obviously in, in the news as well, um, the Tony Club racism court cases, things, you know, this this stuff keeps you busy and it keeps the variety is the spice of life. But you've certainly got some of that. Yeah, I was, uh, I was kind of saying before that in the past, there's, there's probably been conversations that have, have happened between clubs and, and managers, and uh, and it might be two or three two or three weeks before anything's leaked out. No, I find out the same time as everybody else, which mm. which is on social media. Um, I woke up this morning to, to George Williams leaving Canberra with immediate effect. I found out the same same time as you guys. Um, so a lot a lot of what we have to do now is is reactive. Um, and it's, it's you have to. I'm, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that speed is the most important factor, but you you, uh, you have to act quick, but you have to act responsibly. And how quickly did you act to get George Williams straight back? <laughs> well, well, it's well, it's not. Um, we've <laughs> just it's very live situation, and it's understanding everything that that goes with that. It's it, it's it's a challenge. No, but it, I, I'm not I'm not holding anything back. I'm having to dig into all this. Like at the same time, everybody else is. Where do you see this going then with the this this career? Because I mean, if if someone had asked you twenty years ago, would you be doing what you're doing? You probably wouldn't have had any clue that you'd yeah, be going this far. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I have the conversation with with my chairman, you know, quite quite often. Um, obviously, he, you know, he's he's getting older as well. Um, we've we've got a, a new shareholder, so there there has to be successions just like the successions with with players and squads and, and academy players etc so you know we're not doing our job as a business if, if we're not looking at what's happening in the next five and ten years time so um you know i'll certainly be, be in it for be in it for for a little while longer but ultimately i, I, I don't know mm -hmm. we'll see what happens one thing i wanted to ask you as well is is uh, the news of um some clubs having their academy licenses taken away what did you make of that um well, I don't know the reasons why some clubs um, have had the applications rejected. I, I know, I know the criteria for getting them, uh, and I know what what we put into our document. Uh, I understand the rationale that the that the rugby league will use um, for removing some of the academies, which is there are not enough players in the game. There are not enough junior players playing rugby league. If you look at the under 15s and under 16s. There's probably 2,000 players uh, in each of those age brackets. Each year, 200 of them players are taken into scholarships, which is 10% of the of the, um, of, of the of the playing group. In other sports, typically it's between three and five percent, which en which um, enters a, an elite pathway. By reducing the number of, of the academies, the RFL's rationale is that it's actually protecting the grassroots and the community game. Our playing pool, our talent pool, is just not big enough. And we need more players playing the game. How do we do that? I've been like obsessed by this. Like, how do we? Well, let's let's go back to the badge, right? You want to en you want to entertain and engage young people. It, the sport has got to feel exciting to young people to to watch. But how do we get them engaged? I got I was similar to you. Like, I was just brainwashed by rugby league. You know, I went and watched first live sport. I went and watched. As soon as you get into that. It's easy, isn't yeah. it? But how do we get well, they, young they, people involved? They, they reckon you, you, need, you, know, you need to get a jersey on a kid by the, by the set, eight years old. If he's on there, then he's in for life. Yeah. The, the challenge that we've got is we're competing against so many other things nowadays. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. competing against phones and tablets and, and gaming. And 
you know, my my son, who, who who's 11, used to love coming to games with me. Now, if, if, if he's got a match on the Xbox, you know, and that's that's a worry for, for me as a as somebody who's, who's rugby league's his life, that yeah. my son would rather stay at home, you know. So we've got some challenges to, ahead. Um, how we do it, I, I'm, I'm not sure. We need to create more superstars like the, the, the Wigan team of the 90s for me, because that's what got me in the shirt. I can only talk from my experience, but what I have... I probably wouldn't because my dad played, but would I have been as interested if, if I didn't see Andy Farrell, Fran Obotic or Henry Paul playing for Wigan? Maybe not, I think. But then that's a bigger argument about salary cap and creating superstars and how we market the game. But, I think but it also, Flash, it goes back to our early conversation about the flamboyant player. Yeah, that's you're, it. You're only, yeah. you're only a superstar if you can do the yeah. wacky things what no one yeah, else can yeah. do, you know? Yeah. And they're being diluted. Well, the ballsy stuff's what gets you interested, isn't it? Mm. You know, it, it got back to 101 rugby league tries and a kick. You know, that video, I was obsessed with that video as a kid. There's a try in it, Peter Glynn for St. Helens, chips over, gets it Glenn back. It. Chips over, gets it back, scores. Yeah. Right, and it's just, like, you just, like, I'm not saying that that's what we need, but, but, but it's but, there's but, things that get the hooks in. Yeah, but Nike are going to give a contract to a player who's knocking 60 tackles a game out. They'll no. give it to a contract to, to some kid who'll do something wacky. You yeah. know, that's the, and I don't know how we unleash that. But I, I'm with you, Flash. Your kids need somebody. You know, probably in the last few years, Sam's as close as yeah, we've yeah. got to that. Yeah. And he embraces that, and I think I think he's like that. But, but then it's very easy, isn't it, at the same time, to look back with rose-tinted glasses yeah, to, yeah. to a different decade, to a different generation, and, and then not consider the sort of social and cultural landslides of gaming and all these other things yeah, which have nothing to do with rugby league that is just i mean you see kids now and and that's that's a thing isn't it that's i can't see that shifting and going anywhere no it's not and part of, look young people exercising playing team sports not existing completely online is a cultural time bomb that's just ticking away in the background yeah look look i, I think i think as a sport as a playing group i think we need to make some changes if i looked at the uh the social media platforms of uh, uh, of some of our players, even the more talented ones, a lot of them will be uninvestable. To be brutally honest with you, if you look through look through the pictures, there'll be pictures of nights out. If you look through who they were following, you know, not we all know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not, I don't follow those. If, if you look at what they're liking, but this, these are what yeah. big companies are doing mm. nowadays: the auditing profiles to see is this player uh, investable. So we we need we need to, a cultural change, I believe, in in rugby yeah, league to, to take us to a different level. I love I love the Cristiano Ronaldo documentary where uh, he's he's a gazillionaire, but he's still looking at ways to get better. And and I'm not saying every one of our players can afford a pool in his house, but if I walked into some of our players' houses, would it look like the house of a professional sportsman? And by that I mean if I open the fridge, what would be in it? Yeah. If am I falling over a foam roller on the floor? Uh, you know, has he got a good ice machine? He's, he, has he got a laptop? You know, I know Wayne is kicking off that some of his England players have not even got a laptop to watch the clips. You know, I think we need some uh, to make some cultural changes if we, if we've got to, if we want to to be serious about taking our players to to a different level. We have a freebie mentality in rugby league. Absolutely, yeah, freebie mentality, yep. oh, and yep. if. You know, of course, I'll post that on, on on Twitter. If I get two free T-shirts, yeah, the the superstars of the game are turning down thousands of pounds if they don't believe in that product. So we've got to, as players, we've got to make some changes. And as sports people like us have to influence and drive that. Yeah, yeah, it's powerful. They need to know the value as well. I think fine. Absolutely, two T-shirts cost fifty quid, and they'll do put tweets and posts with the 10 20,000 followers but, they're but worth then, more but then than again, that again again devil's advocate but social media and a number of followers is a currency and that was something that was just never around even 10 years ago was it you know you and people even more embarrassing than that is people buying followers and and forging a currency and, and but that is that is a thing these days you know you, you you've got a hundred thousand followers on instagram that's bigger than having it's personal brand is it, it's personal brand yeah. you know how many if 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 you again if you did this audit how many of our players personal brand is investable mm. every single tweet that you put out there you know companies that's what we need to invest in the people does and, the future of of rugby league um worry you does it look bleak to you at all i i <laughs> look i don't we don't know we don't know the full impact of 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 covid yet do do we but i think it just feels more significant for our sport at this time. 
uh, on the back of a re reduced TV deal. Yeah. Um, you know the impact of, of of repayments on government loan, etc. And when does when the when do they start the repayments? Uh, you twenty twenty three. Yeah, you yeah. Start repaying that. We don't know the impact on the community game. How many kids have have, have stopped playing through the the pandemic? Yeah. And we we don't know that. We don't know how many uh, fans are going to return yet. We've got an indication on season tickets, but I think it'll be a, a long time before we're seeing uh, uh, full stadium. So. The next two years, to me, just feels really, really critical and, and, and important. I, you know, I think I think we'll always have rugby league. It'll always be there, and we'll always love it. Uh, where it will be is is up to is up to people like me. Is up to people like you. You, yeah. you guys promoting this game now. We all have a, a massive role to play. I think we we I I see rugby league as as sometimes as a self-harming sport we criticize ourselves yeah. ridiculously yeah. but i think if we encouraged every rugby league fan to say positive things it's an unbelievable sport with the people in it the values in it and i think we we all need to realize that we all we all play a role in that yeah we all yeah. play a role yeah chris thank you so much for coming in we yeah, kept you for, loved it. for long enough thank yeah, you great. so much um, that's Chris Radlinski everybody don't forget you can download all the podcasts wherever you get them from uh, and give us a little follow at out of your RL on Twitter and we will see you next week <laughs>